Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Bless his name today. Hallelujah. Woo! Glory to God. Glory to God. Today is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And you know, today is a day of gladness. Why? Well, because we're honoring and celebrating one of our, our founding roots in this church, uh, Judge Al Penniman, known as Pastor Al, lovingly around this place. Amen. We're going to honor his life, celebrate his homegoing. I was there in 1981 after a car accident. I can tell you it's real. It's worth waiting for. Glory to God. He is dancing on them streets of gold. <laughs> he is. I'm telling you, see, you, you up there, you see Jesus. Everybody say, he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And when he gets there, <laughs> when he gets there, they're all bowing and saying, worthy. Worthy are you, Lord. Oh, worthy are you, Lamb of God. Worthy. We praise your name. That's what everybody does to Jesus up there. You say hallelujah. Guess what everybody does up there? Angels and everybody. Hallelujah! They're shouting to the Lord. Why? Because he's worthy. 10,000 praises and praises upon praises. We want to celebrate Jesus today. Amen. And let's praise his name together. We're going to worship. We're we're awaiting. A lot of folks have said they'll be here. That's okay. We're on time. Amen. We're not going to miss anything. Amen. <laughs> We're not going to miss a thing this morning and celebrate that name and celebrate Pastor Al today in Jesus' name. Tanya, are you ready? Let's, let's pray together right now. Father God, we lift up holy hands right now to your name and we praise you because you said you are the great God. You said you're wonderful and counselor and the mighty God and the Prince of Peace. And we praise you for that together right now. We worship that name that you've given to the Lord Jesus. The name Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Lord, forever and ever and ever. We praise you for that name today, right now, in our hearts and in our mouths, forever. And we bless your name. And Father God, let the Spirit of the Lord join us together in koinonia, of the spirit companionship partnership together in worshiping you let the high praises of god be in our mouths and the two-edged sword of your word in our hands to execute vengeance upon that enemy lord we thank you and praise you that your word is true it's so that you are our faithful father in heaven we praise you for that and bless your name for that everybody that agrees with that says Amen. amen amen team take it amen. away this amen. morning amen shout shout for joy shout shout for joy for the lord has given you the victory Joy for the Lord is given. 
Yes, Lord. We thank you, God, for that anointing power, God. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, God. Hallelujah.
and we have came to praise your name, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You can be seated. Praise the name of Jesus. We welcome the Penman family today. Um, <laughs> we're going to go to announcements, Cecil. So today, after the normal church service here, we're going to be honoring and celebrating Pastor Al's life. And I was just thinking... I was down here yesterday doing some odds and ends thinking, oh, I hope Pastor Al and Judy would appreciate all the new freshness we've done in here. And then the flag falls halfway down, and I'm like, thanks, Pastor Al. Okay. <laughs> we, we had um, Jeff's brother Matthew's funeral here just a month ago, one of the hottest days of the year, right? So we're all getting ready to pile in here. Electricity went off completely. No air, no lights, no nothing. All the older people coming in were having to use phones to try to get them in here. We had no lights. We're running to get generators. We're pouring with sweat. Turns out a squirrel got up into the electrical thing and fried itself and turned only the church off for the day of the funeral, nothing else. And so when I see a flag fall, I thought it would have to be something. <laughs> Not a squirrel this time, no. Uh. <laughs> but we, we hate the opportunity that you have to be here, but we're glad to see you all again, too. And um, most of you know that Pastor Judy and Al and I have been friends for over 18 years. I had a missionary... Uh, thing called Rock House Kids that's still very much going here in Rockford. So I did that for 20 years and I evangelized. And through those years, I would come here when I could uh, on Sundays. And so Judy and us would go out for lunch and we would go to a lot of the different meetings together and became really good friends with them. But the thing with Pastor Al, and I guess I get a chance to say this because I got the microphone right now, but <laughs> I had this blue coat I bought for winter one year. And when I came in that door, Pastor Al was sitting over there greeting everybody. And he went, oh, my, that color looks really good on you. I'm like, it does? Really? He goes, yes, blue is your color. Well, I'll be. I thought, what? He is so kind. So then came spring, and came. I got a blue spring coat. And he would say, you're sticking with your color. I said, yes, I am. And my whole wardrobe for years were blue, just because Al mentioned blue was my color. And I always thought, what a kindness he had in his heart to even pay attention to some person coming through the door to say a special color looked good on them. You know, I really, really appreciated that about Pastor Al. But we were doing Celebration of Life. After church here this morning, we're going to go up to the fellowship hall, and uh, we were... Lunch is provided by the Penniman family. We'll be eating lunch and coming back here at 1.15 for the celebration of life. So then I just want to announce also, don't forget men's breakfast Saturday. is August 20th, men's breakfast here 
at the church. And then Wednesday night, every Wednesday night, we have Bible study here. It turns out, the next one, Cecil, the Bible study at 6.30, we're combining them. We've had the separation of the men in one area and the women in the other area. And then uh, due to circumstances, we put them all together. And man, is it growing good. <laughs> it's Battlefield of the Mind. And I have someone else um, actually leading it. And it's been growing and growing. They had to get extra chairs in the other day. So I thought that was a real good problem. <laughs> so those are the things that's just coming up this week here. And as we prepare for our offering, I like to read a few scriptures to remind us of why we bother to give. 2 Corinthians 9.7 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So being cheerful is part of it. How about that, huh? Do you really think of that sometimes, that you're supposed to smile and enjoy when you're giving? <laughs> and yeah, be happy. It's a happy giver that God loves to see. And Malachi 3.10, this, this one I really like. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. Pour out so much blessings that there will not be room enough to store it. That's what we expect all the time, that God gives us so much that there's no room to store it. And that's for you individually who's giving. That's for the church who you give to. And Luke 6, 38 says that we continue to prepare, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and runneth over. It will be poured out into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And we had a special guest speaker last Sunday that said that he, the Lord told him to give 20% instead of 10%. And this man owns an airplane. He flies. He has two TV stations. And I'm thinking, God really pressed that down, shook it together, runneth it over for sure. <laughs> So as we prepare to give our tithes and offering, let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for that all you have given to us, Lord. We thank you for all you've given to us. And this um, token amount we give back, Lord, we just ask you to definitely press it down, shake it together, and runneth it over. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We bring sacrifice and praise into the house. Of the Lord, we bring sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord, and we offer unto you the sacrifices of thanksgiving, and we offer unto you the sacrifices of praise. We bring sacrifice of praise. this offering we just ask God to bless it to bless it 
and to magnify it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, Cecil, the next one. We have today very special guest speaker. We do want to announce that we have Pastor Harry with us today, that we're excited to have Pastor Harry with us. He, yes, and he will be doing the celebration of life. But this time we have Grant and Jessica Ellis with us. And my understanding is they graduated from the Church of God, which is a Christian school. And they're actually, Jessica, you're with Marriage and Family Therapist. I bet you have some, we'll talk later. I bet there's some stories to tell on that one. <laughs> but they also just shared with me that they're uh, engaged with some um, church planning too. So we're excited that they're here in their grandmother and grandfather's church. And we just celebrated last year 45 years of this church. We had a big celebration. And um, it's so cool that you're able to be up here with us to do this. So if you want to join us, we will be turning the service over to Jessica and Grant. Well, hello, everyone. Can you guys hear me okay? Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for that introduction, and thank you for having us today um, to come and share with you all. I just don't even have the words to say what an honor it is to be here. Um, obviously, as you guys know, um, Pastor Judy and Pastor Al are my grandparents, and they are just such amazing leaders of this church body specifically, but also just of the church as a whole. Yeah, seriously. Um, I'm going to try to make it through all of this without crying, but that may or may not happen. Um, but they are just an incredible inspiration to the two of us um, and the legacy that they leave behind. And to say that we feel honored to feel like their anointing torch is even partially being passed down to us is an understatement. Um, we feel extremely honored and blessed and do not take that opportunity lightly. Um, so we are super thankful and happy to be here with you guys this morning and just to share what we feel like God has placed on our hearts. Yeah, to echo what Jess said, by marriage, I get to be part of this blessing of the Penniman family. I'm emotional too because um, just part of my testimony is you know, I have a great family, but I didn't grow up and know about the Holy Spirit. I didn't grow up and knowing about all the different aspects of God. And I feel like by being part of this family, I've learned more and more about the spirit of generosity, two major attributes of the Penniman family. And I take this as an extreme honor to stand up on this stage where Judy and Al have stood before. Just being able to follow in that legacy, and having our two kids here today, even seeing us up here, just basically the legacy that we get to honor is really amazing. So thank you all for having us today. I'll see if we can get through this. <laughs> but as we were praying today and seeking God on what to bring, we, looked, we felt prompted to look at our own lives. As we were looking at our own lives, we saw a common theme that we s happened in our life, and that was shame. I think a lot of us might be able to relate to that, whether you realize it or not. Shame can be a silent killer in our lives, and a, a tactic the enemy has been doing since the beginning of time, creating doubts and lies in our mind, and it ultimately creates shame. As we were looking at this, we see that we're going to look at three different stories today. 
throughout the Bible, and we're looking at the beginning of time when shame did first enter in, and how that has impacted our lives since then. And three major things we're going to see is just shame entering in, and how that can attack our identity. How when you experience God, what, how that can shift your identity into where the true identity is, and where that can bring a birth of testimony of your life. So that's where we're heading today, and we're really excited to be here and share that with you guys. Yeah, so I wanted to just preface before we jump into the message that, as we all know, it's so easy to fall into the trap when we're sitting in church services of thinking, oh, this message is for so-and-so, or oh, if only this person were here to hear this message, or giving your spouse a little nudge, nudge, um, thinking this one's for them. But I want you guys to just really hear this message and focus internally, um, because the whole, the context of the story of your individual story isn't what matters in this. It's the overall concept that we're going to be talking on and how it's applicable to each and every one of our lives. So we want you guys to just tune out everyone else and just focus inwardly as we share. So Grant's going to open us in prayer. Yes. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity to be in your house, to share your word, Lord. I pray that the words come out of our mouth would only be of you. And if anything comes out, God, I pray that it does not stick with anyone, that only your words stick today, God. We just pray your Holy Spirit will fill this place, fill our hearts, fill our lives, God. That I pray that we would experience you today in ways we may have never experienced you before. Maybe there's someone today who does not know you, God, that they come to know you. If there's some people who do know you, God, I pray that you, they would just feel the stirring in them to rededicate their life to you, God, to continue following you, that you are worth it and you are worthy, God. And I pray that we would honor you today with your word and this opportunity, God. It's in your name. Amen. So if you are taking notes today, we did actually title this. It's the too good to be true story. The first story we're going to look at is a story of Adam and Eve. We're going to look at where shame entered into the world. And the first story we're going to look at is Genesis 3, chapter, 1, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 10. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the gar- any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you'll die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, making coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So yeah, do you guys know what it means when we hide? I often think about just because we're parents of littles, I often think about our children, specifically our daughter Willow, who just turned three today. So shout out, happy birthday, Willow. <laughs> um, but I often think of her, and when we specifically tell her not to do something, and she does it anyways, because she's three, um, and she responds, I'll, one of us will look at her and be like, Willow, mommy and daddy told you not to do that. And her immediate reaction is, to hide her face because immediately when we know that we've done wrong we hide and children represent that perfectly but it's something that we all do and what that hiding is and what it represents that's okay 
um, but what that <laughs> hiding is, um, is shame. That's really what it is, is we hide when we feel ashamed. And as you see from this story that Grant just read from Genesis, it has been Satan's number one tactic from the beginning of time. Shame did not exist before Satan entered this picture with Adam and Eve. And then as soon as he entered it, shame existed. And it is his number one tactic to this day. It, doesn't, it wasn't just then. It wasn't just in the history of time. Um, but it was, it's something that's affecting us from that point onward. Because if Satan can get us to question our own identity, which is what shame does, if he can make us feel bad about ourselves and want to hide from the creator, he wins. And he takes us out in one fatal sweep. So it's his go-to because it's one of the easiest tactics. And just as important as it is to know who Jesus is and what he calls us to, it's also important to be very aware of the enemy and the ways that he's attacking us because he is sly. And so he can sneak in and cause shame to overtake. The definition of shame is a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. So again, shame is what causes us to hide our face from God. Grant read um, verses 1 through 10, and in the very next verse, God looks at them and he says, who told you that you were naked? Because up until that point, they were not even aware that they were naked, and it broke God's heart that somebody told them that and brought that lie up to them. So Adam and Eve's first reaction to sin was to cover up. They lost their quote-unquote garments of light and righteousness and honor as a result of their disobedience. So instead, they saw their nakedness and they immediately ran and plucked fig leaves from the trees. And they sewed these garments to hide themselves. And I don't know if any of you have ever gone and plucked a fig leaf from a tree, but it tends to wither and die really quickly. And it gets smelly on top of it. So when you pluck it, and I just imagine them sewing these garments only for them to wither and die, for them to panic and have to get more garments to try to sew and cover to hide, and then it dies, and more, and more, and it just repeats that cycle. And one thing that I think is so fascinating, um, as the screen said a minute ago, by trade, I'm a marriage and family therapist, and so in the field of mental health therapy, one of my very favorite things that I learned was the concept of shame, and specifically the cycle of shame, because it's so interesting to parallel psychology to the word of God and how they're, they just totally match. Every discovery that's being made matches the word of God, and it's so cool. Um, so anyways, the cycle of shame I have here up on the screen, but it's basically, there's a sin of some sort, and insert whatever it is for you. You know, not these top three sins that equal the worst things ever, but whatever your thing is that you're struggling with internally or externally. Um, so there's a sin that takes place. So we sin, and then immediately we feel horrible, right? We feel bad about it. We feel gross. We don't feel like we belong or like we could even approach God or his presence. And so we shame ourselves. We tell ourselves, oh, we're bad. We're undeserving. We're unlovable. We don't deserve this. And what that does is we tell ourselves we're bad so much that then we can't survive in that place. So then we need to cope in order to survive. And the way that we cope is to do that sin again. 
And then the same thing, the cycle repeats itself. So we shame ourselves, we need to cope, we sin. We shame ourselves, we need to cope, we sin. And you get stuck in this cycle. You can't get out of it. And it's because Jesus never intended shame to be in the picture. But Satan brought it in as his number one tactic because if we can get stuck in this cycle, it's gold for him. It keeps us from the presence of God, which is exactly where we are created to be. So what is the name of shame's game? It's false guilt that targets our identity. When God convicts us, he notes out a specific sin, right? It's a nudge from the Holy Spirit saying, hey, very gently, this is where the sin happened. But what shame does is it's more like condemnation, telling you, you didn't do something bad, you are bad. You didn't do something that caused someone to be upset. You're, because you did that, you're unlovable. You're undeserving of love or grace. And so that is just not Jesus. Um, and the other thing shame does is it makes us relentlessly try to confess without ever experiencing true freedom because it makes us feel like, oh my goodness, I, I did this, I'm, I'm the worst, I'm sorry, God, I'm just awful, blah, blah, blah. And we never experienced true freedom because God didn't ask us to come into his presence with shame. He wants us to come in ready for freedom, free of shame. And so it can really get in the way. So God is love, which does not involve shame. So again, out of love, he will convict us, which looks different. Conviction explains and illuminates our path whereas shame and condemnation makes everything fuzzy and confusing and makes you have this sense that I'm an overall bad person. So every time we come face to face with the enemy's tactic of shame, God wants us to know these two things. And these, if you guys are taking notes, um, it's the next slide. These two things are going to be the theme kind of throughout the three different stories that we share. And the reason that we are sharing three different stories is again, because we want each of you to see that, okay, this concept can be transcended to everyone's story. Insert whatever content you want. The concept is what we're talking on. Um, so the first thing that God wants us to see is that he sees us, he knows all that we are, and still he chooses us. And you know, that's something we're all like, oh yeah, yep. But no, let that sink in. That the God of the universe, the creator, sees us, knows all that we are, which means all that we've done, every thought we have that we're disturbed by, he sees it all and still he chooses you. And you, and you, he chooses you. And then the second thing he does is he tells us who he is. We often think, oh God, who am I? Tell me who I am. But the reality is, is that we find our identity in his identity. So we don't need to have all these words describing who we are. He tells us who he is. He says, I am the Messiah, the I am, the great I am, and you find your identity in me. So he walks it through that way. So we're going to go into the other two stories that kind of outline this. As we're looking at shame, yeah, looking at shame, you know, I think sometimes shame can be this like really intense, maybe like broad subject that maybe can be hard to like identify in your life, but really shame is kind of, a, like I said earlier, a silent killer. And sometimes it can show up differently. And we're going to look at the story of Thomas. 
And sometimes shame, as we saw in the story of Adam and Eve, it's even doubt creeping in. There's two times in that story where doubt creeped into Eve's mind, and she believed the lie of the enemy. And how many times do we have a, a lie that we're like, is that God, is that the enemy? And we get torn, in this, this stuck in this place between truth and a lie, and it, it enters in doubt, and that doubt turns into shame. So we're going to look at the story of Thomas. Um, this is the story of Thomas in John 20, 20 through 24. 24 to 28, we're going to look at the part after the, the death, burial, and resurrection. We're looking after the resurrection, starting in verse 24. So if you guys have your Bibles or want to follow along on the screen, we're in John 20, verses 24 through 28. So it says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, and note that it's before Thomas even asks, Jesus says, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. As we look at the story of Thomas, I find it really interesting, uh, the first part. It's, um, Thomas was known as Thomas, Doubting Thomas. I think that's a, a phrase that we kind of maybe put on ourselves, not necessarily said in Scripture, but we look back in John 11, we actually see him as a courageous person leading the disciples. And then John, um, John, I think 14 maybe, there's another part, he start, you see him start doubting. And then looking at John 20 through 24, he's actually doubting, he said, I will, never, I will not believe. I mean, he is at this point of, I'm not just questioning God. I'm like, I will not believe this until I see it. The other disciples already saw Jesus, and they're coming back with excitement. They're enthusiastic. They have experience with God. They saw him, and they're saying he is alive. But Thomas is like, until I see it, I'm not going to believe it. And how many times have we let doubts creep in, maybe even dismantling how we see God or who he is, the power of who he is? And now, going on in here, I think sometimes when we think about doubt and shame, and we get stuck in the cycle that Jess talked about. It's easy to just be so shameful. We don't even show our face. We want to hide. Eventually, that hiding isn't just hiding. We lock ourselves up. Because we see here, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. The door, though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. How many times do we get stuck in the cycle of shame, and we're too afraid to even with those around us? Yet Thomas was bold enough to tell his friends here, the disciples, that this is where I'm at in life. This is what I'm going through. I, don't, I will not believe until I see it. And he's at this place, I think it's interesting that he's even noted that the doors were locked, but still, even with our, when we get stuck in the cycle, we lock, God is still going to pursue us no matter what we're doing. He's after our heart. He's after our lives. And we've seen that he enters in and says, peace be with you. You see, Jesus knew him so well that the next part we see that he tells him, put your fingers here, see my hands, reach out, and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas didn't ask him to do that. God knew him so well. He's like, I... I see you, I know everything that you are, and I still choose you. He met him there and said, touch me, experience me, know who I am. You know me, you've seen me. And Thomas' reaction that was, my Lord and my God, it, his belief was there. That experience how God changed his life, and he exclaimed, my Lord and my God. There was something that shifted in him that day in that story. I think look at Thomas's life too. I can only imagine that there was feelings of, I should have had faith like the other disciples. I should not question Jesus. I mean, have you ever been in a place where maybe you have had those same thoughts? Maybe you're quiet. Maybe you didn't share it with someone. But I think looking at Thomas right here is very interesting, his boldness even to share where he's at with the disciples. And maybe we could even take some 
look at his life and what can we glean from that. But once again, what we see here is he said, I see you, I know you, and I still choose you. And he tells him who he is. The next one we're going to look at is the woman at the well. We kind of, as we said, we, the first one we saw, shame enter in. We see here the doubts that get planned, where it can land you. And now we're going to look at the story of the woman at the well. A little backstory on the woman at the well. Obviously, there's tons of rich content in that story. And I want to give you a little backstory. So in the story, Jesus has been out ministering. He's on the way back, and he's heading through Samaria. And he intentionally actually changes his route through Samaria. It's really interesting that in that time, Jews and Samaritans did not really interact together. It was very controversial. Yet alone, he ends himself at the well with a woman, which even that time, women weren't really held in high regard. So he's talking to a Samaritan woman this time. So Jesus, the Son of God, is talking to a Samaritan woman in the heat of the day at the well, asking for water. He's asked, she asked for, uh, he asked for water, and, and then, sorry guys, I'm going to lost my notes here, but looking for the water, and she's asking, he's asking for real water, and he says, I have living water to offer you. In that moment, he tells her to go back, and she responds by saying, he said, go to your husband, and she responds, I don't have a husband. And he knew her. He said, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands, and the man that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. In this moment, he even just knows her instantly and tells her who, what she has been doing. Yeah, so like Grant said in that story, the woman at the well had to have felt utterly overwhelmed in this moment because she literally is going to the well in the middle of the day because she feels so much shame from her story. She doesn't even want to run into anyone that she knows because she's shamed throughout her community, not only just internally. So when we think about the woman at the well, her quote-unquote fig leaves or her shame that she was covering up was that she was in relationship with five men, four of whom divorced her, which in that time was probably the most dishonoring thing you could do to a woman. And so she was dishonored, which caused her a lot of shame. And then the person she was now with wasn't even giving the honor to her of marrying her and making her his wife. So she was probably thinking things like, man, this Jew must think I am a heathen. I am, I'm worthless. Just ask my last five partners. They clearly see it. He probably does too. Or I don't deserve love. I've tried five times, and my history has proven that to me. But how does Jesus respond in this passage? First of all, he points out that he very much so knows who she is. He says, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. So what you, what you have said is quite true, which is also just totally synonymous to the two points that we made up above, which I think are on there again. First of all, I know you, I have seen all that you are, and I still am choosing you. And then the very next thing that he says is, I am he, the Messiah, the one you speak of. And what's so cool about this story is that this woman, a Samaritan woman, is the first person in all of Jesus' life that he reveals his identity to. He doesn't choose, you know, the most honorable, high-up pastor of the time, whatever you want to call it. He chooses this lowly woman who is covered in this weight of shame. And he tells her, I know who you are, I still choose you, and here's who I am, and I have this living water to offer you. 
So ultimately, what he did here was Jesus took off her fig leaves of shame, and he offered her this beautiful robe of righteousness and life and honor. So what I love in these stories, all three of these stories, is that correcting shame is really about correcting our identity. And when we have that identity shift, when we encounter Jesus truly, that shift in identity is where our testimonies are birthed. And we can't help but want to run and share our testimonies. In John 4, 39, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is a savior of the world. As Jess was saying, in all three of these stories, we can see where shame entered in, and there's this false identity that was taken on. And then they encounter Jesus, and they give a new robe of righteousness. And then you see here this woman at the well could not help but share her testimony. And if we look in here, we see that she went running back and telling her story. And the very town that she was filled with shame with, the one that she avoided them by going to the well at noon, which was not common, it says the sixth hour in scripture, which was really noon. So in the heat of the day, when you typically go in the cool of the morning, she was avoiding people because of her shame. She ran back to the very city where she had the five husbands to boldly declare who God is, to boldly tell about her testimony, how the Lord is changing. And because of her, the word of her testimony, it says, and he said, he told me everything I am. He knew who I am. He knows who I am. And because of that, many came to know him. And the others that came to know him and the word that Jesus brought, more did. And knowing that he was the savior of their world. And even the people told her, that's no longer just because of what you said. It's because we experienced God that I can acknowledge that he is really the savior of the world. And in researching this, I was curious about the word testimony. If you look at it in Hebrew, testimony actually means do it again with the same power and authority. This woman knew what Jesus did. These characters knew what Jesus did, and they believed. They were so passionate and excited to say what God had done. They went running back saying, this is what God did. He saw me. He knows me. He still chooses me. And told me who he is because she believed that he had the same power to do and authority to do it again. And we believe that today that the same God who created us, who sees us, who knows us, and wants us, and still chooses us, tells us who he is. And we today say, with the same power authority, he can do it again and change your life. Whatever that looks like, whether it is caught up in shame, whether that is maybe an illness, maybe something in your life, God can heal you, do the same thing. That he is still healer and on the throne and sees you and knows you and wants you and chooses you. And today, as we're getting into the end of the message, we want to just bring a call, an altar call, Two things, one of salvation, because we don't want to miss an opportunity to offer if anyone does not know Jesus, but also an opportunity for rededication. Yeah, so maybe you're hearing this message and you're thinking, wait, who's Jesus? I don't know about him. I've maybe heard about him, but do I really know Jesus, the true Savior, our sweet, sweet Savior and friend? Maybe you do know Jesus, but have maybe strayed or not even intentionally strayed, because that's how the enemy gets us, is it's not always this, Ugh, I'm not dealing with Jesus anymore, I'm walking this way. Sometimes it's a, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. You know, and just slowly you back away and back away. And as culture gets more intense, we need to also amp it up and get more intense. Um, but instead, we're kind of doling it down. So maybe you're in that place where you, you know Jesus, 
but you feel like you've been carrying this shame and you've been coming to his presence with this shame and not releasing it to him. And maybe you want to rededicate your life today to the Savior of the world who offers you true freedom immediately. He doesn't ask you to behave before you belong. You get to belong before you behave, which is so good. It's such good news. That's the title of it. It's news that's too good to be true, but it is true. And that's what's so cool about it is that when you are, when you experience that life change, you can't help but want to run and tell everyone because it's too good. And some of us maybe, maybe you've experienced that and you, you feel the stirring in your spirit that, oh wow, I really need to tell my story. I need to share with somebody, maybe out to coffee with somebody, maybe a family member who you've never shared with, maybe on a stage, you know, maybe through writing. I don't know what it is, but what is your story that the world needs to hear because God did something incredible in your life that you're feeling timid about? Jesus wants to take that shame from you. And like Grant said in the very beginning of our message, the reason we chose shame to talk about is because it's one of those concepts that we really feel that the Lord brought us together to kind of combat. Um, Part of the reason being, you know, we both love psychology, therapy, that realm, and we both love ministry, which, just a side note, I think is super cool. Just yesterday, we were going through some pictures and stuff at um, Grandma Judy and Grandpa Al's house, and we found this thing. It was like Grandma's senior yearbook, and she was saying, maybe I'll be this question mark, maybe I'll be this question mark, and it literally was like, all, like I could have written it too, which is so cool. It was like, maybe I'll be a social worker, question mark. Maybe I'll be a missionary, question mark. You know, maybe I'll be a nurse. It's all these same career choices that I debated on. And it's just, this concept of shame is what brought Grant and I together. And we were the first person that we both shared our most shameful stories with and accepted one another. And through each other, God really modeled his grace for us. Um, And we just want you guys to also get to experience that grace. So I want to just open the altar, and maybe we can have the pastors come up, um, elders, anyone here who feel comfortable just being up here during this time of ministry to pray over anyone who is saying, hey, that's me, to any of those three. And I'm not going to make you decipher which one. You can tell the people up here you know, what you're wanting prayer for specifically if you want to. Otherwise, you can just come get prayed over and get encouraged. Jesus welcomes you. He doesn't force you to follow some template. And I want to just call all of us as a church body to eliminate judgment because it could be a pastor or a worship leader or, you know, the elder in the church that says, hey, it's me. I need to rededicate my life. Great. Let us not judge. Let us have the altar open to anyone who wants to come. Because I asked in the beginning that all of us would not think about others, but think about ourselves as we hear this message. So let's not judge anyone, okay? Let's have that good deal. (laughs) Because the house of the Lord is not for judgment. So we just want to invite anyone up at this time who wants prayer or anything like that. And maybe during this time we could, I don't know, play some music. I don't know if you guys have. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so she can just kind of play so that everyone feels comfortable and can just really lean into what God wants to do.
I'm going to say a word of prayer before we open the altar call. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to be here, to share your word, to be with your people, God. I pray for anyone in this room, maybe who's debating on where they stand, if this didn't even touch them, God. I pray they would have the confidence and the boldness to make a step today toward you. You tell us in James 4, 8, you draw near to me and I'll draw near to you, God. He wants us. He's pursuing us. So today I pray that if you feel anything stirring in you, that you would just obey and come and experience him. He is a good God. And I pray that you come and know the truth of who he is and experience him today. So Lord, I pray that there's anyone on the center of my voice that's feeling this. I pray that you lovingly show them that in your kindness that this is a safe place to come and meet you. And Lord, we give you all the praise and the honor and glory because you are worthy, you are holy, and we acknowledge who you are. We thank you so much, Jesus, and it's your name. Amen. At this time, we invite anyone who's feeling anything to come up here, and we'd love to offer prayer.
wonderful words from heaven this morning. And in, back in the 20th century, I, I certified with Life Skills Learning Center, and we, we carried the shame paradigm and said the healing of the shame comes when we move from the shame into a situation of guilt because Ab and Eve had to move from that situation, fig leaves to guilt, because someone had the Father God sacrificed, blood sacrificed, and made them skins to cover, to take the shame away. And they moved from shame to guilt, and that blood took away the guilt. Today, if there's shame, hallelujah. John, come over, I want you to pray. Yes, we're, we're going to pray. We're going to pray over Grant and Jess, yes. We just realized you guys are just going out into ministry, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. And um, seeing the husband and wife drool, how wonderful that is, but how hard it is. <laughs> and we know that. <laughs> We can talk to you about some of that, you know. Um, but God does something. Turn her down, please. Okay. God does something when he puts a man and woman together in ministry. And so uh, I could see, <laughs> without knowing any situation, that he put you guys together to do this ministry. And so if you would give us this opportunity to just pray over you. Okay. Come on up here. Stretch your arms out, would you please? Stretch your arms out, would you please? Yes. <laughs> Remember this. This, this is a, a sort of a rooting place, so we want it to be a kind of launch pad in the sense of the word, right? Uh, I heard the word church planting earlier spoken regarding your ministry, so uh, let this be a launch pad, a going forth, an unctioning from the Holy Ghost. And I believe you guys know how to yield to the Spirit of the Lord, right? Amen. You understand that concept, amen? You understand that. And you understand the, the paradigm of shame that's out over the body to move into, move folks into the guilt so they can be forgiven and the blood can, can take away that shame from them. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. Pastor Harry, would you come, come help us? We want you to praise you, Jesus. Stretch out your hands right now. Hallelujah to Jesus. Stretch out your hands. And believe the Lord with us right now in that name above every name. We want to lay our hands upon Grant and Jess right now in Jesus' name. As an unctioning agency right now in that name above every name. Let the fire of the Lord come into their hands, healing hands. And let the fire of the Lord come forth out of their, their lips. Because, Father, your word says let his, his ministers be a flaming fire. Let the fire of the Lord, words in due season, come forth and, and, and cast out, burn up that shame in Jesus' name from the lives of those to whom they, they're sent. Let that be so and let them bring forth them into a position of guilt to be forgiven and loosed from that shame, Father God. We thank you and praise you for it. Let the unctioning of the Spirit of the Lord according to your perfect will be manifest in that name above every name. We thank you for it, Father God, and we launch them forth, send them forth from this place, from this rooting place right now. Father God, as we stand before you, they are united as one to you, Lord. 
And we ask you to bless their footsteps mm, and all that you have for them, Lord, that both of them together will be so intertwined that when one wants to go left and one wants to go right, it will not exist. They can only go forward in you, Lord Jesus, with the footsteps that you have put in front of them, Lord. And with such legacy that they have in the ministry, Lord, we ask you to triple that. Triple it, that they go forth in this late age that we're in now, in the late times that we have now before you come back, Lord, and they will have people coming to them, Lord Jesus, wherever they go, and asking, how do I get saved? How do I get saved? And as they come to them for marriage problems, they would say, we have to put God first or it won't work. Father God, we pray over these two that you give them every amount they need, Lord Jesus, uh, of your word inside them of your heart inside them, Lord, as that blood that ran down Calvary's over their lives right now for the future that you have for them, Lord. We pray them out in the name of Jesus Christ. Mm. Amen. Amen. Harry, you have something special? Father, we just, we just affirm. We just affirm everything that's Can we have an offering plate up here, Dwayne? We always have um, something we bless our speakers with, but we want to just take a special offering up yeah. for you. They're, they're starting out new. Boy, oh boy. Um, we were only married a year when <laughs> Judy and Al decided that we were going to be pastors of this church. <laughs> just a year. Um, wow, wow. We were yeah. <laughs> and if you know Pastor Judy, she gets her way. <laughs> you, you don't battle that one. <laughs> you just go, okay, God, help us. <laughs> Sorry. But <laughs> um, so, so he had been in ministry, doctrine, theology. I've been in ministry 35 years, opened four churches, had a mission. I mean, we had a huge background and we're sitting here, and we're looking at Pastor Judy. And if you can just imagine trying to start off anew with this church and everything, and we're just like, what? Really? I retired. My feet go up now. You know? <laughs> and so even though you guys are about 40 years younger, <laughs> it's still, I will be praying for you, and I hope the rest of you will pray for them because Satan wants to take couples out that's doing something for God. And we got to cover these young people. We have to cover. A lot of us are, where's Harry at? A lot of us are just getting old and tired, but we got to cover these new people, you know? And um, I can't wait till we get a hold of you and you give me your information and come back and you can tell me in a certain length of time what's all happening and doing good. I, I would look forward to that. Yes. Okay. So did we lose Tanya again? Okay, Cecil, put some music on. <laughs> 
poor woman. She's up to the nursery. She's back to the piano. Yeah. Okay. And if you'd like to give something, go ahead and give. And then after we give, we're going to be dismissed for food up in the fellowship hall. And then at 1.15, back here for the celebration of life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And when we go up there, there's a, a table reserved for the family. And if they need more room, and we'll just pray over the food now here so you can go up and fellowship and enjoy. And we love babies around here, so we can get a lot of baby love with all the little ones around here. I just love it. Especially, you know, when they make some noise, you know there's life. That's, I love it. It's, just, it's something that goes in my heart, and I'm like, yes, make noise. I get like, fever. I yeah. get fever real bad. So we're just going to briefly pray over the food so you can go up and...